it's time for the only show that doesn't care about ratings, Witness Radio, with your host, Ryan Muniak. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Witness Radio, the only show that doesn't care about ratings because our sole purpose is to save souls. On purpose. Go to witnesstalkradio.org for more episodes and make sure you like us on Facebook. Today is a very special day because I've got a special guest in the studio, Michael Potts, or as some may know him, X-Ray, the former International Church of Christ member who we had on a few weeks ago. And he is back because I had a really great interview with some disciples on campus, which are from the International Church of Christ. And this clip is going to blow you away. It will show you 100% why we believe the International Church of Christ and the disciples on campus are a cult. So, Michael, how are you? How have things been since our last time together? Well, Ryan, I'm doing a very well. Um, in fact, uh, the last couple of weeks, you know, it's been, we've gone for the holiday season and my, uh, adorable 14 month old nephew, he got everyone in our family sick. So I've been dealing mm. with that. Um, but as far as the apologetics goes, um, I haven't really received any emails or any contact from any current ICOC members yet. Um, but I, since I've been doing this for eight years, I found out that it sometimes it just comes in spurts where... I wouldn't hear anything for months about anything I've written or anything that's been going on. And then one day I would get two or three emails out of the blue. Mm. So I'm not giving up hope yet. Well, let me give you a, a little bit of information that might encourage you. Our last show together is one of the most downloaded episodes of Witness Radio ever. Wow. I honestly did not think so many people would be that interested in in learning more about the International Church of Christ and the Disciples on Campus. But I am so glad we did that episode, and I'm so glad we're going to do this one. Right. I know one of the reasons is, historically, the, the original group was, we can kind of trace it, there's a group, the original group in the 19, late 1960s that went through the mid-1980s, the Crossroads Movement, and they were officially hooked up and lined up with the mainline Churches of Christ. The second go-around was with – started in 1979 in Boston with Kit McKean, which was originally called the Boston Movement, and completely separated themselves from the Mainline Churches of Christ, and that became the International Churches of Christ. And everything was going okay until uh, 2002, late 2002, when the leadership of the group rose up and kicked uh, the leader, Kit McKean, out. And Kip eventually started his own movement, and so the ICOC's kind of been – underground the last couple of years. Uh, they lost tens of thousands of members, mm. um, but they are, the numerically, they are going back up. Part of it is the the next generation of, well, their children who grew up in the church, they're actually getting old enough to actually join and become full members and go off to college. As far as cults go, there's not really a whole lot of extra information about the ICOC. They've been treated like, okay, it's just a group. They're very zealous. They just believe that you got to be, you know, a little bit beyond. You got to have their formula of baptism to be saved. You got to do what they got to do to be saved. But from a theological perspective, it's actually has gotten much deeper than that. Right. And we went into that on the last show. I thought, you know, basically the ICOC was just people who believe you had to be baptized to be saved, which in and of itself, that that's heresy, that's right. wrong. But a lot of Christians will overlook that because they say, oh, well, they just 
they got the whole baptism on the wrong side of the salvation fence. No big deal. But it it's a huge deal, and there's so much more below the surface of, of, of that. Right. That we went into on the last episode. We don't have time to go into all the, all the uh, false doctrine that they believe in on this episode. This episode is really just a focus on this audio clip, this interview that I had with uh, the two girls on the University of Cincinnati campus. Okay, before we listen to that, let's, I want to bring up one point, bef- kind of an overarching perspective on, on, the, on the interview. Um, you will listen to these two ladies. They will br- continually bring up scriptures and quote scriptures back and forth. And from the untrained ear, it sounds like, well, they really know the scriptures. They're really applying it in, maybe in a good way or maybe kind of a not so good way in some instances. Well, it sounds right to the untrained ear. But what you really realize is almost all the scriptures they quote, even the ones they can't really totally remember, uh, they're part of their First Principles Bible Study series, their indoctrination series, where they take um, someone who doesn't, who they just met and is interested in their church, and they go through their study series, and eventually at the very end, they totally buy their doctrine, hook, line, and sinker, and they get baptized and they join their church. With that being said... Let's start the interview. Explain that a little bit. You know, uh, you know, maybe someone doesn't have any type of uh, religious background, has no idea what sin is. W- what is sin? Ex- explain that. <laughs> That's a really broad term. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Uh... So, Ryan, you asked them about what sin is, and they, they sound embarrassed. They giggled. They seemed uncomfortable. I've noticed that even genuine Christians can be like that because the mindset in modern... Uh, evangelicalism, modern Christianity, is we don't talk about sin because sin, sin is bad. We we want to focus on, on, on the good stuff, on, on God's love. But right, but it, how can you have the gospel, the good news, without the bad news? Exactly. And that that's one of the things that I teach on the campus. Right, and it's not like what they do in their Bible study series where they get to, at one point, their light and darkness studies, and they sit down and it's like, okay, we're going to start confessing all of our sin. So we're going to start with our sexual sin and our most embarrassing sexual sin. Ready? Go. Mm-hmm. Write it down. That's embarrassing. We we don't do anything like that. We focus on the Ten Commandments, the the law of God to uh, pierce uh, a person's conscience so that they will uh, see their need for a Savior, see their need for the gospel. And hopefully uh, drawing it out to the heart level because ultimately we're all murderers and adulterers at the heart level. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Biblically, it's what separates us from God. It's yeah. darkness. Yeah. Do you have any, any like examples or anything? Well, it's defined, I guess, as disobedience of what God wants for his people. And so a disobedience, um, I mean, when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, they diso- Eve disobeyed God in um, eating the fruit from the tree. And so sin is disobedience of what God wants. And this is totally consistent with their theology because they see sin as a checklist. You have the sins of commission, thou shalt not do this stuff, and they have the sins of omission where, yes, you should do this stuff, where mm-hmm. sin ultimately, it's, it's far beyond even in a lot of ways that we can even fathom. I think I've heard, you know, I remember uh, John MacArthur saying one time, you know, we cannot, and I think he was quoting somebody else, but we cannot understand the sinfulness of sin. That's how bad it is. Mm, absolutely. Note that they said that sin came through Eve and not Adam. You know, Romans 
You know, Romans 5.12 says, you know, it came, you know, it's Adam's responsibility, even though Eve was the one who was deceived. First Timothy 2.14 says that. So it's kind of confusing a little bit, but ultimately, if you look at the previous note about the insufficient definition of sin, you know, it really shows their beliefs surrounding things like original sin, because they remember they believe that there is no such thing as original sin, that pretty much everyone is born neutral. And you lose that neutrality when you start sinning, and at that point they can repent on their own ability, and they eventually keep doing the right things, and they can please God. Gotcha. When I was interviewing the girls, I didn't even catch the fact that they had made that distinction of sin came through Eve and not through Adam. It's it's a murky confusion sometimes, and some of the things they say are spot on, like implying that, oh, there was a literal historical Adam and Eve and they sinned. And other things, you know, they're just completely off on. And sometimes it's very difficult to kind of, unless you go back and you have the opportunity to listen to it again, like we do, to kind of really understand, oh, they messed up at this point. This kind of underscores that their understanding of original sin is off. The fact that, I mean, people are murdering each other is sin. Obviously, the Ten Commandments is going against those as sin, but just like James 4:17 says any uh, like the good that you ought to do and you do not do it is sin. So there's there's so much of like explanation that goes into that but like sins of omission, um, things that you don't do that you know you should is sin and things of commission where you do things that you know you shouldn't do but you do it on purpose like stealing, fighting, um, anything like that is sins against God that... Okay, she correctly quotes James 4.17. This is part of their first principle Bible study series. And again, we see the ICOC's deficient concept of sin where it's sins of commission and sins of omission. I mean, he just wants to protect us from the world and what, you know, from all of this that's happening. All of the riots, is the dissensions, the discord. Um, he wants to protect us from it. Okay, so now I'm going to interrupt right here. And what she's talking about, that is not biblical. God wants to protect us from bad things happening. No, he allows bad things to happen right. to us so that hopefully it will draw us closer to him, into a relationship with him. Well, obviously bad things happen in the world, you know, natural disasters, tornadoes, earthquakes, floods, things like that. But... Why do they happen if you don't believe there's no such thing as original sin? You see, that's one of the problems if you have a deficient theology with that because you can't explain why squirrels die. You can't explain why little innocent babies die. You can't explain why the natural disasters happen and they happen to good people and, and bad people as well. You know, that in some ways that implies with the going back to creation it implies that God originally created an imperfect universe before sin tainted it. But, you know, God's creation was good and perfect before the fall. And we see God declare that many times in Genesis chapter one. We, we see a lot of this in the ICOC where the theology is just completely underdeveloped. Mm -hmm. And if it's not developed enough, then you have other ideas that creep in and ultimately undermine it. Cause you have to remember that, their goal, their focus is to go out and make disciples. And there's not a whole lot of room for, you know, kind of teach and think about, you know, some of the deeper things of theology of the store of Christian faith. Right. And I just want to say, you know, a lot of times 
you know, actual Christians don't understand uh, the things that they believe, and the International Church of Christ and other cults they prey on that. You know, they, right. they love to, uh, for lack of a better term, they love to attack the weak link in Christianity. And that's where a lot of the ICOC converts come from, is people who just had a, a surface-level Christianity, right? and these people uh, looked like they knew a lot more Bible than they did, so they just went and followed them. Right, you look at my case, and before I joined the ICOC, I was a nominal liberal Roman Catholic. I didn't know the Bible that well. And so when they started doing their Bible study series and the scriptures, like, okay, I need, like, it was something in the back of my mind where, yes, I need to know the Bible better. You know, I need to know where things are besides, you know, Jesus' resurrection, his cross and the resurrection and all the crazy stuff that happened in the Old Testament. And you have a better lock on it. So, you know, I was impressed by, again, by their scripture knowledge, but ultimately it was their first principle study series and their doctrine, that tight loop closed system that I was being exposed to. And I could not discern, you know, what they were teaching from what the truth was. You mentioned uh, Adam and Eve in the garden yeah. and all that. Do you, do you girls actually believe that? Yeah. Yeah, we are. Um, a, a literal, actual historical event. Yes. And you? Um, I'm just messing with you. I believe it too. I just wanted to make sure. So they believe, yeah, they believe historically, you know, Genesis one through three, the creation, the fall, and even chapters four through 11 are historical, even though on the other hand, their theology that we've seen surrounding original sin is underdeveloped and heretical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when I heard that they were actually willing to say that uh, they believed the literal Adam and Eve account. I initially was thinking, great, couple of Christians that believe in, in you know a young Earth, which I actually don't think we get into whether or not they believe in a young Earth. Well, a lot of things in the ICOC, a lot of the secondary issues, they don't wrestle with a lot or even at all. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, it's kind of difficult. I would say that the ICOC in general, it's really, I would say it's really hard whether they're young Earth or old Earth, even though I would probably say that they would be young Earth. So, again, they don't really deal with a lot of these secondary issues mm -hmm. that much, secondary and deeper. It, it sounds to me like maybe you girls are Christian? Yeah, yeah we're a non-denominational Christian. Well... What type of non-denominational denomination are they? Now, at this point right here is where my first red flag came up. You know, when they said they believed in a literal Adam and Eve, I was like, yay, praise the Lord. I found some actual Christians here on the campus. And then they said they're non-denominational Christians. And I know that that is a key term that the disciples on campus use to hide the fact that they're from the International Church of Christ. Right. Uh, you got to remember that back in the original Stone Campbell movement, back in the 1800s, they, the original groups, they started because you had Presbyterians and Methodists, and they decided to be, you know, break away from those organized denominational structures, uh, which were pretty much top-down and in some ways associated with certain countries or certain people groups. So... Even today, you have, you know, the Church of Christ, you've got the Christian churches, which I'm a member of, you've got the Vineyard, you've got all these 
emerging groups in the past century or so where they're non-denominational, but if we take a strict reading of denominational as a group that's identified by specific secondary practices in terms of organization or worship or stuff like that, then you can nail them, you can fit a group to a certain denomination in most places. Um, you have to remember the ICOC, they believe that that every other group is wrong because they are just going by the Bible. And if they go by the Bible, then they cannot be a denomination. Aligning with a particular denomination helps to determine what a person's beliefs are. You know, while I do not consider myself a Baptist, I attend a Baptist church because that most aligns with my beliefs uh, that I get from the Bible. Whereas, you know, if they say that they're with the International Church of Christ, immediately in my mind, I have a rough idea of what they believe. Say I'm someone walking down the street and uh, someone stabs me in the back, mm -hmm. okay, and I've got three minutes to live. You know, I, I, I don't know God. I'm not a Christian or anything like that. Uh, this is hypothetical, of course. Uh, I don't really have a knife in my back. Uh, <laughs> but say I do. You know, say, say I did have three minutes to live. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to go to heaven? Let me, <laughs> let me start with you. Oh, man. Um... Now, when you ask them the three-minute version of what must, one must do in order to be saved... They sound embarrassed again, and one of them said and exacerbated, oh, man, why why is that? You know, are they ashamed of their own gospel? You know, Jesus warns his disciples in both Mark 8.38 and Luke 9.26 not to be ashamed of him and his words. And ironically, Luke 9.26 is part of their the ICOC's first principle studies and discipleship. So the, their response, they're basically being disobedient disciples at this point. You know, if they really truly have the truth— and they have the right gospel, and everyone else has it wrong, then, you know, hey, go ahead and boldly communicate that to other people. Don't hide behind, you know, don't hide behind anything because, hey, you're reaching out to a lost person right here, and they're potentially open, and, and just go out and just boldly share what you believe. There's a lot that goes into that. I mean, like, we don't believe that it's just enough to believe to go to heaven. And there goes another red flag in my head as I'm talking with these girls. Well, notice it's the first point they go to. Mere belief is insufficient. You know, if I were sharing someone with a knife in his back, you know, you first, you know, you have to diagnose, okay, we've diagnosed the patient physically. Okay, he's got a knife in his back. He's going to live for about another three minutes or so. But what about his spiritual condition? You know, what does he know about God and his holiness? Uh, what does he know about sin? Um, you know, the unbeliever, in order for them to accept the gospel, you know, they got to understand that currently, even though they are bleeding to death, that their eternal state is worse than their physical and temporal state. So what the ICOC is basically saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ starts out, the, the central point of the gospel starts out with living right for God mm. as a lost person. And this matches perfectly with the ICOC doctrine of, quote-unquote, disciples' baptism, where they can't be saved unless they start living the life as a saved person without the forgiveness of sins or without the power of the Holy Spirit. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word 
I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Here it is. Here's the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, granted, that's not a gospel presentation. In order to present the gospel biblically, it's best to share the law to, so that people will understand why that is good news, that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and rose on the third day. Uh, but the gospel in and of itself is simply that. You can't just say, like, oh, yeah, it's good. Like, I don't know. Where's that scripture? It talks, it's in, uh, where it talks about, like, even the demons believe in shudder. Yeah. James 2, 19, you believe there is one God. Good. Even demons believe that and shudder. So their teaching is twisting that out of context because it's acknowledging that there is a God, not putting your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ and him alone to be saved. Right, because demons can't do that. They've already been actualized, and they know what's coming. Right. There is no salvation for the demons. So it's it's not a belief as in putting your trust in Jesus Christ uh, that that scripture is talking about. If the demons believe, then how is it okay for just a human being to just believe and that be okay? You know, like you have to actually live it out, like where it talks about in John 8, where it talks about how like we have to like live our lives like for God, and then like other people will see that through our lives, like that like his truth is real like just live it out kind of a thing so she, she says you actually have to live it out she's actually trying to apply john eight thirty one and 32 and john eight thirty one. let's start with there it starts to the jews who had believed and john eight thirty one thirty two is also part of the icsc first principles series now in a normative case because you know what if people if the only people who came to christ were people who were going to live only a couple minutes <laughs> There wouldn't be a whole lot of Christian witness on the planet. But, you know, the normal – let me ask this. In the normative case where the convert isn't facing immediate death, you know, what Christian does not want to live out their Christian faith? Right. Absolutely. We are compelled by the Holy Spirit to live out the Christian faith. We may sin for a little while, uh, slip into sin for a little while, but – the Holy Spirit convicts us if we are truly saved. The Holy Spirit convicts us, and we cannot continue in that habitual sin. Right. The ICOC, we're going to see this uh, later on in more clips, but remember the ICOC, one of their major weapons against normal evangelical Christendom is the attempt to mischaracterize all Christians as following the false gospel of easy, belie easy believism, where someone is, you know, they say they're saved or they walk an aisle or they say the sinner's prayer and they use that as their basis of salvation and they're good in, locked in for eternity, they have their fire insurance and they're going direct to heaven and they can live any way they want. Right. And I actually believed that before I was saved. I was a false convert. And that's something that I try to give to every disciple on campus person that I meet is one of Ray Comfort's CDs, the two-in-one CD, which has Hell's Best Kept Secret and True and False Conversion. A great resource to give them, although I don't know that they will take the time to actually listen. Uh, probably not, unfortunately, but well, maybe in some cases they may, they may uh, bring it up and clandestinely try and listen to it, but unfortunately in a lot of cases where, where remember these girls are, these two young ladies, they are 
basically defending the ICOC doctrine because they base their entire life upon this being true. And if this isn't true, the church isn't true, or they've been haven't been taught as had been true, then they're in they're just in a complete mess. Right. So they are again when you attack someone's idol, then they're going to be voracious and defend it. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, okay, that's not really going to happen for me because I've only got two <laughs> minutes left to live. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we believe that baptism is essential for um, you to be saved. Like, it's not like necessarily human works or anything like that, but like that that's like you dying and being risen again with God, with Jesus. Okay, so in a minute and a half, I've got to find a body of water to dunk myself into and, wow. and come up. Ding, 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 ding. Red flag yeah. number three or five. or, or I, I've lost count. We should we should have kept a scorecard, but apparently not. There are enough red flags. I know there's something going wrong. Uh, it's kind of important because we know I grew up Roman Catholic. I learned... Um, even Roman, strict Roman Catholic teaching says you have to be baptized in order to be saved. But at least Roman Catholicism has some outs. But with the ICOC, you know, it's not just essential, it's absolutely essential. And it's not just a baptism at for someone fully immersed at a Baptist church or some other church or whatever. It is their belief followed by their specific baptism mm. that saves you. So the baptism that I had when I was saved, it doesn't count. I, I've got to be baptized with the ICOC. Exactly. Sounds like she's applying Romans 6, 1 through 7. And again, guess what? This scripture is part of. First principles. You got it. The specific first principle studies that I uh, wrote about, and I guess you could probably put this in the show notes or I'm on my, I can mention on my blog. It's posted there too. Yeah, um, what is your blog address again uh, real quick? X-Ray342radio.blogspot.com. That specific version of First Principles I captured from the Cincinnati trip I encountered through with someone that I knew at the Cincinnati, or probably still know at the Cincinnati Church of Christ. She gave me not only the, you know, the outline with all the scriptures and the information given to the person being studied with, she also put in leadership notes where they specifically say things like, Hey, continue to hit upon this scripture until they emotionally, you know, they emotionally break down, or until they understand the full gravity of their sins, or or things like that. It's actually really interesting. Um, it's kind of important to know too that that the ICOC, the first principle studies, it was pretty much consistent throughout the old Boston movement and through the ICOC until 2002. Um, afterward, they Several of the larger ICOC congregations, including Cincinnati, uh, they kind of reworked it a little bit. They kind of give it a little different spin on it, even though fundamentally the scriptures and the order they take everything in is, remains the same. Now, do they still call it the same thing, First Principles, or have they changed the name of it? Oh, they've, they've changed the name. And in fact, back in the day, they used to call it specifically uh, Guard the Gospel. So this thing can go under several different names. Now, in Kip's uh, International Christian Churches, it is First Principles. Also notice when she says here, you know, she says, uh, quote, but that's like you dying and being risen again with God, with Jesus. That kind of brought up a red flag in my mind because, you know, she's confusing God and Jesus about who you're being baptized to. Remember in the last episode, number one, this is really important. You can kind of dig in to their theology at this point. And you can kind of go against these, you can work with Jesus's dual nature of being fully God and fully man and kind of help them, you know, kind of expose that they won't really believe that the father, that the uh, son, I should say, is 100% God. You know, the ICOC is not, they don't believe that God is a trinity. 
they're not Trinitarian, then they're kind of one and a half Trinitarian. I mean, I believe that if someone that, um, if that person, so to say, um, has had the opportunity in their lifetime to be able to know God and have a relationship with God and they chose to refuse that and not choose to have that and they get stabbed in the back and in three minutes they die, then they're not saved. Um, because, I mean, it's, I'm pretty, I can't remember what book of the Bible it's written in. I think it's John, but talking about how, uh, somewhere in the New Testament, I can't remember exactly, but about how everyone has the opportunity to know God and how everyone, um, through his creation, um, that he's just made himself clear that he is there and that there is a God. Um, and so for everyone to be able to have the opportunity to know who he is and, um, they have the opportunity to be saved, um, through the ways that we believe, which is all biblically, biblically based, um, then if they had that chance and they didn't take it, then there's no chance for them to be saved in three minutes. They're trying to wiggle their way around it, but ultimately when they try and give grace to the stabbing victim, they cannot give any grace, any leeway for the stabbing victim. Right, and you know, that's a good point that you brought up, that they they can't give grace to the stab victim because the God that they follow, there is no grace because you have to work for your salvation. Right. And that's the problem that we see with not only the International Church of Christ, but with any cult that adds works to salvation. There's no grace if you have to add works. You're listening to Witness Radio. Come back next week to hear the rest of this interview. Witness Radio has been brought to you by the Muniac family.